Hello and welcome to Rooftop, the UK's only dedicated roofing podcast brought to you by NFRC. I'm Phil Campbell. And I'm Pip Applegate. In this podcast, we interview industry figures, thought leaders and technical experts to make sure you are leading in roofing excellence. We will also bring you regular features which will include things like topical news discussions, technical tips and guidance to help you stay safe on site. We're once again recording from home as lockdown continues, so apologies in advance for any sound issues. On this episode, we are joined by Katie McNeil from the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, probably known to you all as RSPB. We'll be talking to Katie to understand more about swifts, changes to their population numbers, what influencing factors are causing these changes, and what it all has to do with roofs. We'll also be hearing from Gary Walpole about NFRC member at Accent Statistics. We want to kick off a little bit about the 2020 UK Roofing Awards. Yes, so the UK Roofing Awards event is normally a highlight of the roofing industry calendar, but COVID mm. has obviously put a stop to all that. Um, nonetheless, the nominations were in and we had over 150 projects that, in total, which were reviewed, uh, shortlisted, and the winners were announced earlier this month. And it seems a perfect starting point to talk about the 2020 Roof of the Year. Go on. So the winning project was Bodley Court of King's College, Cambridge, and mm. was carried out by NFRC trade member Claude N. Smith Limited. Um, the building provides undergraduate accommodation for the university and dates back to 1890. Mm -hmm. And after over 100 years of standing, it's not surprising that the roof was in urgent need of uh, maintenance. Mm. Firstly, it's a large roof, which we're talking about covering around uh, 1500 meters squared yeah. and the original roof material was still in place and that was a collie western slate which is a uniquely sort of paler colored slate mm -hmm. and the requirement was that the new roof wanted to last another 100 years without the need for regular maintenance mm. the largest hurdle if you like was right at the start of the college at uh, the project sorry mm. um was that king's college wanted to use new collie western slates which seemed impossible as there were no working Collie Western slate mines <laughs> open. <laughs> They'd all closed down back in the 1960s. So it wasn't just about reslating the prestigious heritage building itself, but also about the ambitious challenge of reopening the only Collie Western slate mine in the world. That's no mean feat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, another thing before any roof work could begin, uh, they had to survey the root roof for any bat activity. Mm. like uh, bats like to roost under the front edge of the slates where the mortar is missing. So obviously after that period of time, there was plenty of opportunity for, for them to get in and, and nest. And a mitigation plan was then put in place with Natural England so that bats could continue to thrive in that roof. Um, the project itself took over five years from the first inquiry to the slating work being finished. And the planning and logistics which happened even before a slate was laid show the level of dedication that everyone involved in the project had. The project was unanimously chosen as Roof of the Year. Um, Bob Richardson, Head of Technical and Training at NFRC, said it could only be described as a labour of love by skilled craftsmen, and this resulted in a remarkable re-roofing project. Oh, well, richly deserved. It uh, sounds like a fascinating project. And... Uh... Um, sounds like a lot of effort went into to get that, that slate quarry back up and running again. So absolutely. <laughs> so well done to Claude N. Smith on, on that on that prize. 
So next up, we have the Young Roofer category, which was won this year by Mo Farhan, an apprentice at SPV Group um, in built-up flat roofing. And so this is not the first accolade that Mo has won. He's twice won Employee of the Month for SPV and was also chosen as the best apprentice at the end of year SPV Awards. Oh, wow. Um, he was nominated actually twice by two different people at SPV. Um, and some of the comments they, they highlighted was that he was a standout student, um, that he never missed a day of training um, and made the most of every manufacturer visit as well. Um, so a very, a very conscientious student uh, is Mo. Um, everyone who worked with him said that he was a pleasure to work with um, and that he had an excellent attitude to learning and also to, to health and safety and always follow throughs on, on all of his tasks. He sounds really um, dedicated to his profession in that respect, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a real inspiration for, for others wanting to, to enter the industry. Mm. Um, and SPV actually believed that within five years, he'll be large, managing large projects himself. And within 10 years, we'll be actually in the office helping with estimating and, and project management. So a bright future ahead for, for Mo. Um, so he's Mo's really an ambassador, as I said, um, for, for other young people looking to get into roofing and, and really, you know, what apprenticeships are, are all about. So a real success mm. story. So so many congratulations, Mo. Yeah, well done, Mo. So Pip, what, what was your what was your favourite project, would you say, of, of the UK Roofing Awards for 2020? Okay, so my my favourite project was the Lady B Enterprise Centre of Shoreham Port in Brighton, which won mm. the Sheeting and Cladding Award. Um, and the project was worked on by SIG Designer Technology alongside Kingsley Specialist Roofing and Cladding. Mm, sounds interesting. So, so why did you choose this project? A couple of reasons, really. Initially, the form of the building and the materials used uh, and the quality of finish caught my eye. And then understanding a bit more about it being a redevelopment project, not just a new build, and the requirements which the project had to meet um, as shore and port is an eco port. I also kind of found those elements particularly interesting. Um, the port has recently achieved a carbon neutral state or status, sorry, and the development um, within that area have to follow a template of high sustainability standards. And the scheme was also required to be bream rating of very good. Um, and, and when I sort of mentioned the kind of the, the material and the form of the building caught my eye, there is obviously the high sustainability standards, but also this sort of link to the nautical and fishing heritage of yeah. the site, which was which was unusual. Mm. Um, and it resulted in this sawtooth sort of shaped structure um, of the roof. Oh. And that allowed um, the inclusion of, of north lights and also an optimum number of solar panels on the south side. And, and, the, sh and the shape evokes a waveform. Um, mm. And in some areas where the cladding comes down the side of the building, you could say it looks like the hull of a ship. And these sort of interesting shingle cladding um, was inspired by local industry, obviously being fishing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the materials selected because of their resistance to elements associated with obviously that, that coastal location. Mm. So, so a lot's gone into that project. What, what would you say your favourite aspect was of, of the entire project? Um, favourite favorite part, probably the eco-condentials was certainly up there. But I think it's that seemingly simple palette of colours and materials which have been used, but actually there's been a great deal of thought and consideration that's gone into their selection. Um, it's come together very nicely. And I like the fact that the building appearance can vary depending on the weather and the environment. I suspect that that almost iridescent look of those fish scale shingles must really bring the building to life, if you like, on a sunny day. So that was my 2020 award winning favourite. 
Yeah, which, which project stood out for you, Phil? Well, um, I, I would say my favourite was the, the IKEA store rooftop, um, which is a rare example of a rooftop garden uh, created for birds and the bees. Okay. Um, and the general public too. Um, so, yeah. I was going to say, so, so why did you choose the project? So it's obviously got some lovely features from the sounds of it. Mm. Well, well, like your um, project, Pip, it, it also achieved a green uh, status um, of mm-hmm. outstanding um, in, in the new construction certification. Um, and, but really what, what I liked about it is how it combined green, green roof technology with other sustainable technologies such as solar, LED lighting, um, rainwater harvesting, and also use of renewable construction materials. Okay. You know, and as, as you know, the construction industry um, increasingly focuses on sustainability, I think this is a great example for, for other roofing contractors and suppliers to look to it as, as a fantastic case study of, of what can be achieved. Mm. Um, what I really liked as well, um, Pip, is that it wasn't just um, a green roof with, with grass in it, but it also combined um, a whole host of different forms of, of, nat- of nature, including a wildflower meadow, um, raised mm. urban farming beds, oh, wow. um, and, so, and um, also planters and a little bit of synthetic turf as, as well. So it combined pretty much every, every kind of form of, of turf and, and, and flower and all of that. And, and what this means is it creates a, a fantastic space for, for school children and others to come up and, and learn about the natural environment. Um, mm while also being accessible to the general public, which is, is quite a rare thing for, for, for local people to be able to access roof gardens like this in London um, and free of charge too. Yeah, as I say, it sounds obviously there's a huge um, range of um, items up there, or sort of areas up there, and over a large space as well. Um, what would you say your favourite aspect of the project is? Yeah, so um, I think really is the accessibility, um, mm-hmm. the fact that it's open to, to everybody, um, and also the educational side too, you know, the fact that it's an opportunity for people to learn about you know, bees and birds and, and insects, which ties in quite nicely to our, to our next guest pit. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, I mean, those are just a, a few of the award-winning projects from, from this year's awards. And I'd say it's certainly worth taking a look at all the projects um, which are profiled on the UK Roofing Awards website, which is um, www.roofingawards.co.uk. Mm. And... Um, it's good to remind everyone listening that nominations will be open for the 2021 awards very shortly. So please do keep an eye out on our website for any announcements and also on social media. Um, so you can be ready to enter your project um, from any time in the last year um, into the um, 2021 awards. And we hope, fingers crossed, we'll be able to celebrate in person in November. Pip. Absolutely. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> so watch this space. So for this episode, we're joined by Katie O'Neill, Edinburgh Swift City's Project Officer at the RSPB. Welcome, Katie. Hello. <laughs> hey there. Tell us a little bit about yourself and and, uh, and the project you're working on. Yeah, so I work for RSPB. Um, it's the largest conservation organisation in the UK. Um, it was started in 1889 by um, a group of women that wanted to protect some birds and it's expanded quite a lot. Um, my specific role is at Edinburgh Swift Cities Project um, and that aims to protect and enhance the population of swifts within Edinburgh City, though because of COVID, obviously I've um, got, I was able then to reach wider um, beyond Edinburgh. 
Um, it's a project that was funded by Scottish Power Foundation and it runs from last July to the September 2021. Um, what we'll be getting up to is doing conservation research into the foraging behaviour of swifts to better understand and conserve them, um, as well as community outreach, engagement and education. Um, so that's working with community groups, the Edinburgh Swift local group, schools, unis, but also, and very importantly, professionals and tradespeople. Um, and this is the kind of hope and idea that you don't just need a few people working in conservation to kind of protect nature that we completely rely upon. You need everybody everywhere to do what they can, where they can and when they can. And um, yeah. Great, sounds fascinating. So could you just tell us a little bit about the swift population and um, for those viewers who, who don't know much about, about swifts? <laughs> yeah, so the swift is a wonderful bird. I absolutely love it, of course. Um, it's really ancient. It evolved whenever the Tyrannosaurus rex died out 60 million years ago. Um, and it's also just really fascinating. It's the, the weight of a cream egg, but it flies the whole way to Malawi and back every year without landing. It even sleeps whenever wow. it's um, on the wing um, and yeah. does everything eats as well. Um, it kind of closes, it, like half its brain sleeps and the other half like stays aware of predators when it's like 50 metres high, just like amazing. surfing the waves of the, of the wind, which is really cool. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, there's so, there's so many great facts I could say about them, but um, maybe they'll come out as we go. And True. so, I was going to say, in terms of the project you're working on, you mentioned obviously the population numbers and things. What what changes would you say we've seen in the UK over the last 20 to 25 years? Yeah. And are there any sort of significant reasons behind it, I suppose, as well? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, despite them being so ancient, um, there's research into um, over a 23 year period. So from 1995 to 2018, numbers fell 58%. Um, and they're now listed as an amber um as amber conservation status, which the definition of that is unfavourable um, like population status, but that's quite mild almost, like amber's one away from red listed, which mm. is severe kind of thing. So yeah, it is, it is, they are really important and their their numbers have drastically fallen. They're also an RSPB priority species since 2009 because of this. That's quite a short period of time for that, for that drop to happen as well, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a few, um, there's a few considerations about why that might be like they, the swift eat insects and obviously the insect population has drastically fallen in, in this time period. Um, there's also climate change has brought on um, an increased frequency of storms um, and for them travelling 7,000 miles to Malawi and back obviously are quite susceptible to storms and just last April a lot of swifts were blown into Greek islands and mm -hmm. they were exhausted. Um, but those two reasons aren't kind of and um, confirmed by science what is confirmed is habitat loss and um, and that's something that we can see and um, definitely be a cause of their population decline so i guess what everyone's thinking is how did you come into contact with nfrc and what's the connection yeah um, so I came across NFRC in a Roofing Today article um, and saw that you're really about the cutting edge development and expertise within the roofing sector and you're um, very keen to keep your members up to date with opportunities and initiatives. Um, the specific article that I saw was talking about biodiversity and sustainability and um, so I thought to get into touch. And why it, why it directly links is the, um, the swift birds are a crevice loving species, they nest in roofs. Um, 
And we have a bit, a bit of a bittersweet situation where with all the amazing work that's being done to insulate roofs and to reduce heat loss, which impacts climate change, um, a side effect of that can be that the nests are destroyed. Um, but that's not, yeah, I'm not bringing any like blame or upset about that. It's more like I'm here to say that it's, it's completely possible to do the roofing work and protecting the swift population um, and can talk a wee bit more about that. I was going to say, in terms of, uh, it leads on nicely, if you like, to opportunities that that we might be able to sort of um, raise with our with our members. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there any legislation that sort of that we can use to help support the swifts, if you like, and and, and give them some habitats back again? Um, yep. So there's something called the biodiversity net gain, and the aim of that is to minimise um, losses of biodiversity and help to restore ecological networks. Um, the definition of it is uh, an approach to development that leaves biodiversity in a better state than before. Um, now, biodiversity net gain is already in the National Planning um, Policy Framework, the NPPF4, um, on a UK level, but however, it doesn't specify the number and percentage for the gain. Um, what is happening right now, though, is that the the latest um, draft of the Environment Bill includes a requirement for all future schemes, including development of land, to deliver a mandatory 10% biodiversity net gain. And this gain will be required to be maintained for at least 30 years. Um, so how this is an opportunity is that on a legislation, legislation level, policy, public interest and business level, people are becoming more interested in biodiversity and how to preserve and conserve it. Um, so if you as a roofer were able to offer to um, either put in place more swift nest boxes um, or to do roofing in a way that's swift friendly and maintains the already existing swift nest boxes over a period of 30 years, that will um, reach a lot of the targets that developments will will actually require um, by the Environment Bill. So hopefully it goes through. Um, but even if it doesn't, there's still, there is public interest in business kind of going in that direction. Uh, no, it um, sounds like a, a really good opportunity when, when that Environment Bill finally does pass. Um, but in terms of practically, you know, what our members can do now, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned kind of boxes that they can install. Could you yeah. talk a little bit more about that and maybe some of the other other things they can practically do on the ground to mm-hmm. help. Yeah, so what we recommend first and foremost is that the swift nests are left alone. And um, how you can check that is using the website uh, Swift Mapper, where you can see on a map um, all over the UK where swifts have nested and where they're what year they were recorded as well. So if you were going to do roofing works there, you could know whether oh there's not a swift nest there, it's okay to do swift works or roofing works. Um, but if there is a swift nest. Um, then we would ask these things um, that if the roofing work could possibly be done outside of swift nesting season, which is from May until August, um, if it really, really can't be left um, outside of that period and has to be done, that the, we would ask that the scaffolding doesn't block access um, of the swift nests and as well netting and and like wrapping materials kind of thing aren't left in front of the, the access points for the swift nests. Um, if it can be done outside of the nesting season, um, what we would ask to do is to prefer, uh, preserve the access holes um, for the swift nests or to make new ones that match exactly um, to the old ones where possible. Um, where the 
development really like has to go through and there's no way to preserve the nests that already exist and that kind of thing, then we, we would ask to retrofit um, pre-made external nest boxes. Um, and there's a few conditions for doing that. So they need to be northeast, northwest facing to avoid overheating of the birds. And um, five meters high because they, <laughs> the so the Latin name for swift is apis apis, which the Greek root means without foot. So obviously ah. they have feet, but they've got short wee legs, and they kind of fall over like they can't stand upright. <laughs> so whenever they're taken off, that they're not like other birds that can lift themselves ah. off. They they just fall from swoop. the nest box yeah. and swoop swoop off the way kind of thing. So <laughs> I know they're so cute. But they've got they do have feet. They're like super strong that allow them to cling to the vertical walls. Um, yeah. So yeah, five meters high with no obstructions, but beneath is another requirement. Um, another one is to not be near trees because there could be predators perching there and not above windows where there might be disturbance disturbances. And and those are boxes that you can put on, you know, residential as well as commercial. Is there sort of much difference in or just exactly the same approach, just sort of um doesn't matter which building it is effectively as long as those criteria are met. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good totally. stuff. And there are there are different options for that, like in the roofing article, roofing today article that I wrote had the different options, you know, like develop the the gables or um, use sofit design, um, or put in yeah the bricks or the external boxes. There are different options that you can do, um, and okay. I can say more information about that at the end. Cool. And in terms of, um, as you said, sort of people that have been doing this so far, have you got any sort of positive case studies that you can sort of give us a great example of how it's all been done successfully? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a really uh, lovely one that happened um, in Lingfield down in Surrey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the St Peter and St Paul's Church. Um, and a case study was uh, was written about that on the Swift Conservation website. And basically what happened was um, a uh, a local couple who knew about Swifts and saw the the works being done with the church, got in touch with them to say, oh, there's Swifts nesting here that we know because we see them every year. Um, and basically what happened was the church council and the local architect and the local roofing heritage roofers all worked together to perform the works um, to ensure that the old nests were retained. And what they did was um, whenever the old stone tiles were removed, they marked the positions of the nests um, between the tiles and the roofing mem- membrane. Um, and then they these were then retained whenever the new stone tiles were put back on. Um, and so that was Clark Roofing Southern Limited. That's who, who did the roofing works. Mm-hmm. Um, and the result of that was that there was nest boxes or nest places for the Swifts and they returned the following summer. And that was in 2012. Oh, brilliant. That's fantastic. And, you know, um, the reason you're on today is because we want to, you know, have that partnership between RSPB and NFRC because, you know, Hopefully we can take case studies like that and, and you know, share those with our wider membership and we can repeat that across the country. So that is really good news. Um, so in terms of um, for people listening, if they want to find out more information, they want to look at that guidance, it may be really interesting in this topic, but you know, don't really know much about it or don't know what to do. Where would you recommend they go for, for more information? Yeah, so there's a couple of things and we can link them after. Um, are the swiftconservation.org website. Um, there's a leaflet there specifically about roof and gable repairs and re-roofing. Um, on the RSPB website, there's a few case studies that happened in Oxford and Belfast, and there's one coming about Edinburgh. There's also there um, on the RSPB website, you can buy a pre-made um, nest box that comes with the fitting instructions, so it has all the ecological conditions around that. Um, 
yeah, just like just to say as well that us getting in touch, we're there's no need for us to make money. Like obviously, the people you as roofers offering that um, are the ones that will benefit kind of thing. Like all all the profit is to you for your time and and skills and that kind of thing. Um, and then yeah, uh, we've got my, the Edinburgh Swift local group. Um, are at Edinburgh Swifts on there on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have a positive story of doing roofing works, um, in a Swift friendly way, we can we can share about that and shout about your story. Um, and also the roofing article, um, roofing today article that I mentioned as well. We're looking to um run a free webinar for. Um, uh, tradespeople and professional sectors in terms of like scaffolding, architects, uh, construction, roofing, guttering, chimney sweeps, um, that kind of thing to, um, yeah, share more information about the SWIFT and how to be SWIFT friendly within work. Um, and yeah, if you're interested in that, then also get in touch with me. Good stuff. Fantastic. Well, um, I encourage everyone to, to look into that and and as I said, you know, we have a partnership now with RSPB on this particular issue. And hopefully this is just at the start and we'll be doing lots more over the coming months on, on this. So uh, watch this space. So thank you very much, Katie. Uh, it's been really interesting talking to you today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And now we're joined by Gary Walpole um, to give us a technical tip for this episode. Gary, what do you have for us um, for this time? Well, it's not so much a tip, but um, uh, a link to the accident stats. As you know, or you probably don't know, Phil, but Mm. we collect accident uh, statistics off of our members each year. And that runs on a fiscal year, the same as the HSE's accident stats. Now, obviously, with COVID this year, we were obviously giving members a lot longer to um, uh, uh, submit their accident returns for 2019-20. But we've, we've collected all the statistics. And what we've done this year is something both Bob and I have wanted to do for a long time, is actually produce an annual accident statistic report rather than in other years we've just given an overall um, figure of accidents and and where they've occurred and the actual um, the 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 actual rate of accidents uh, throughout our membership this year we actually wanted to go into a bit more detail and analyze what is excellent um, um, excellent data that our members provide us with so you could probably then elaborate on what the marketing team have done with their accident stats, couldn't you? Yes. So um, we've put together um, a glossy document that, that summarises the data. And it's a really positive story, isn't it, Gary? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, sorry, I threw that on you there, Phil, didn't I? <laughs> <That's a bit. laughs> Let's try, Gary. <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, NFRC members have very few accidents. So even last year, where only um, 740 of our members submitted returns, and obviously it is a membership requirement, and we do like all our members to submit their accident Mm -hmm. returns, Um, being a COVID year and an unusual year in pandemic, we didn't want to sort of, you know, um, um, uh, hassle members too much. But 
out of 23,300 employees, be it employed or labour-only subcontractors, we've actually received a total of 73 accidents, wow. which isn't wow. a lot. Now, that 73 accidents actually equates to um, uh, an accident rate of 0.31%. Now, construction as a whole has an accident rate of 4.1%. So our accident rate is somewhere in the region of 13 times lower than construction's accident rate. So that's quite that's really good news. That's really good news. And the the what we've done within the report, we've we've analysed the last three years worth of um, uh, uh, statistics. Now um, over the three years, um, the accident rate is 0.56. So still relatively low, or, or actually really low. Now. The interesting fact of the report is, is 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 that we can celebrate what NFRC members do well, okay? Um, and we can use this to lobby duty holders. Now, you could do your bit in Parliament. I could do my bit at Cognac. <laughs> so it really does give us a uh, give us an opportunity to celebrate how well our members manage health and safety. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a it's a great story, isn't it, Gary? And it it really does show that by yeah. using an NFRC member, you have that assurance, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but there is seventy three accidents, so we're not ignoring them, and we're analysing where they work. And one thing we have noticed is that we're not finding new ways to have accidents. Our top five accidents are exactly the same. They mirror the HSE's accident stats. Oh. So although there's a lot more. Um, and we've got a lot less. They are exactly the same. The top five, it's slips, trips uh, and falls, um, falls from height, injured while handling or lifting, uh, carrying a load, um, hit by a moving or falling object and contact with moving machinery. So they are the top five. So, you know, it, it's, it's important to reflect and see what we can do mm. to... Uh, Get, get that rate down lower and hopefully achieve uh, zero um, yeah. accidents. Um, That's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Yeah, I think it has to be. Yeah. Whether we can achieve it, it would be good to be able to achieve it. But 73 is something that needs to be celebrated, you know. And and just so you're aware, you know, um, that, that, that not all of those accidents were uh, specified. You know, that, that some of them accidents are... Um, just over seven days so the guys could return to work right. you know in quite a short period of time not all of them 73 accidents were um, uh, uh, life-changing or specified or broken legs or stuff like that some are just sprained ankles yeah yeah and was there any fatalities um, Gary reported? We, no not last year we haven't had a fatality well since I've joined the NFRC but looking at the data from previous years for over five years now so uh, well over five years we go back but what we did um when i started and uh, bob and i sat down and had a conversation rather than our accident stats being a tick box 
exercise, as members will know, we're now asking just to go into a little more detail and understand yeah. exactly how these accidents are working. And because our members have given us that information, we're able to um, um, we're able to produce reports like the one we're going to be issuing in the next couple of weeks. Mm. Great. Well, thank you, Gary. And um, for those listening, you can download a copy of the accident report for 2019-2020 from the NFRC website. Thanks a lot, Gary. No problem. So that's it for this episode of Rooftop. Thank you to Katie for being our guest on this show and to Gary for his interesting points regarding the accident stats. We hope that you've enjoyed listening today, but please do share this episode with your friends and colleagues and on social media. And we hope you tune into the next episode. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Back on the